All right, welcome back to another episode of the Busted Header Podcast. I'm Chris, and I am so excited to be back here with Jake. We're going to do uh, some guard preview here, uh, but especially after those last two preseason games, specifically the win against the Mavs. We're, we're kind of getting close to the season. I can smell it. I can taste it. We're just a couple weeks away from the actual start to the NBA season. Uh, if you want... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I had such a good start on that, too. I'm keeping it in the pod. All right, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm not the fake Webby on Twitter and Infamous Web on Reddit. Um, as usual, I'm joined by the man, the myth, legend, Jake. You can find me at Halbridius. Is that not something you were going to say? That's something you normally say. I was going to leave it up to you. Okay. We're going for options today. Fun. Um, we're on a schedule now, almost. Like a weekly thing. This is new. We're getting there. Um, I, I think we're going to try and keep maybe a weekly thing going. So that's, that's fun. That's what I'm hoping for. It I'm won't very, be consistent. I'm very thing, proud maybe. of Webster. Last pod, he committed to doing a pod this week and he actually like showed up on time this week. Normally it's I, like a five day process. I was on time. I was ready to go. He I beat got me takes. Here. They're not going to be great takes, but I got a couple. <laughs> he beat me here. So... <laughs> We're excited. We have we have two games down. We've got a game. Uh, let's see. We're doing this on the tenth, mm-hmm. so there'll be a game on the eleventh. Probably pod will be out sometime right before the game, because mm-hmm. I'm not working on it tonight. And how many more preseason games do we have? How many? We got three more to go. I think one more at home, and then two road ones. I know one's in Philly. I forget where the other one's at. Let's ah. see. So they have our. They have our, on the ESPN app, they have our score being reset at the Pacers game on the 23rd. So three more games, it looks like. Mm -hmm. So we're almost there. 23rd's two weeks away. Almost there. Was it 23rd? October 23rd? Mm -hmm. Is when, uh, it's so close. It's less than two weeks. We're almost there. Almost there. All right. So today, uh, we're going to continue on through our current roster construction of the Pistons. Um, we're going to be focusing today on guards. Um, so we're going to go over you know, who's playing what, what we think the rotations are going to look like, and what we think we're going to play uh, scheme-wise offensively. Uh, before we get into that, of course, we've got to cover some quick news. That's happened since our last pod came out. We had the two preseason games. The first one was a lost Magic, 115-91. Uh, and the latter was a win um, against the Mavs, 124-117. Do you have anything you took from that game? I didn't, I didn't watch it live. I don't think you watched it live. <laughs> you don't games. think I watched it live. You bet your ass I watched it live. You did? Oh. Yeah. You said you missed it. No. No, no, no. No, no we, right. we show up for these things. This is what a big got? deal. Uh, this I is got... our first basketball in, like, two months. Mm-hmm. Um, you... Uh. I think the biggest thing is that Christian Wood is good and Joe Johnson is very washed. Yep. Um, yep. Very washed. Uh, I think that was the big headline that I got from it was Christian Wood looks like an NBA player. Joe Johnson does not. Um, Maybe not a, a rotation NBA player, but at least someone who can go in there and get some minutes. He yeah, looks so, very springy in that first game. So Thon uh, had one game where he was like a level productivity was pretty neutral and one game where he was pretty terrible mm-hmm. uh andre was goofing off a bit but st- he had one of those like games <laughs> yeah. where he was a little loose in the first game but still had a good stat line in the second game he just he was awesome mm-hmm. um 
He was phenomenal. Like, that you see, my favorite uh, play from Andre that game had to be that block that Kleber <laughs> tried to take him off on a dunk in the middle of the lane, and Andre's like, "No, get that out of here." Well, if you if you follow uh, uh, Laz Jackson at Laz Chance on Twitter um, or me last year, we were celebrating anytime anybody tried to lob it over Andre because he just eats that stuff up. And so the the play where they tried to lob it to Bo, uh, Boban and uh, Andre caught the lob, deflected the lob like twice, and then stuffed Boban at the rim was like my favorite, mm-hmm. even though it was on Boban, and we love Boban. But uh, yep. so he, he was pretty great in that Mavs game. Um, Blake has looked really, really slow to start the season, and you really hope it's just Blake not getting, you know, 100%, because yeah. if this is what he's going to look like in the first game, that's that's a big concern. Uh, I think, well, Blake, I mean, he didn't look like he was going at full effort easily in the first game, especially. But what I kind of liked was he was very much into his post-up game. He was taking on smaller defenders. He was playing with his back to the basket, kind of going to the rim and making plays off that. So he, he, I don't think he looked 100%. He didn't look full Blake Griffin, but he was still doing great things while in limited minutes. I don't know. The, the Blake Griffin you need to see is Blake taking the ball in his hands, getting downhill, you know, using Andre in the pick and roll, distributing. Mm-hmm. You know, we know he can distribute from the post. Uh, the question is, can he, you know, what's he going to be able to do going downhill? And so far he hasn't dunked, I, I don't think, in preseason. He's turned down a couple chances. He had a lot of turnovers the other night. So it's just one of those things where you hope it's, you know, that Blake is intentionally giving 50% and that he's not, you know, just at 50%, but he's, he did not look good. So, I mean, um, I was watching some of the, the scrimmage you know, earlier that, that's today. That's something about the... to keep an eye on. I think just about everyone else. Derek Rose had a good game after having a bad game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luke Kennard looked awesome uh, last night after having a mediocre first game. Reggie Jackson's still a little shaky. Um, I don't know. Yeah. We'll get into yeah. it a little more here. Yeah, we'll go more in depth on the guards in a quick second. Uh, before we go, though, I do want to touch on a couple of little takeaways that I got from the opposing team that we can talk about more of the NBA as a whole. Kristaps Porzingis Stop. is real big. Yeah. Real big. That that was one of them. Was <laughs> They have Kristaps, who's huge and crazy, and I think he may contend for an all-NBA spot this year because he was just shooting lights out in that game. It was all over the floor at a 7-3. Like, oh my God, is that going to be a monster? Him and Luka. Latvia but, is going to show up in the next Civilization game, and Kristaps Porzingis <laughs> is going to be their wonder achievement. <laughs> yes, please. Give me more of that. And then I just kind of like putting Kristaps and Boban together with maybe Luca point guard. Like, I, so I want just, bully ball. You I just want like the whole ba- ball. Baltic region thing going that, on That there. too. <laughs> that too. I have a hard on for that, but I'm just more of, I want to just fulfill Stan's ultimate dream of building a full fucking wall. Maybe well, the, can they put Maxi Kleber in there at a small forward and uh you could probably squeeze it out. We get a Finney Smith at shooting guard. Yeah, there it. you go. There you just go. Big old wall. Just like try and get by this. I mean, what did, what did you see in the first game from the Magic? The first game was <laughs> I know he's a meme. I know he's a joke. But I still like Markel Fultz a little bit. Oh, so you're I talking like... to a guy who was always liked Markel Fultz, so 
I know. Well, I mean, we both agreed when we came out of college. We thought he was definitely the number one pick. And I see every bit of that athleticism in what he can do with the ball in his hands. And now his shot looks still not great. Bad. But this... Objectively bad. <laughs> yeah. I'm he's got, to, be he's nice got a hitch that you can hook a trailer to at the top of it's... that shot. It's bad. I don't know what is going through his mind when he shoots it. But but he's still freaky athletic. When he goes to the lane, he had one drive uh, somewhere in the middle of the fourth quarter when he just drove by like three pistons and an up-and-under layup. And I was just like, wow. Yeah, he's always <laughs> had great body control. Mm-hmm. Great body control, great handles. Like he, There should be an NBA point guard in there. And, and he Maybe is not a, an all-star, a legitimately but a good passer who who takes really good angles. And st- I I really thought he looked good. He and Aaron Gordon were like, wow, these two. Mm, oh yeah. And I I still I can't wait for the day where somebody takes Aaron Gordon and lets him be his best self. I don't know if the Magic will ever figure that out, but yeah. I love Aaron Gordon. Yeah, same. I think I think he's got a lot of talent there, and I'd be curious to see how they use him this year. Uh, but moving on, one last thing we do need to cover before. We go back to the Pistons is the story that, of course, is going on all throughout the NBA right now, which is the NBA um, going uh, getting into a little bit of a tussle with China right now. Uh, uh, what set this all off was a tweet uh, by Daryl Morey, seemingly innocent enough, just a small social media thing, <laughs> where he said uh, it was just free Hong Kong, right? That was all he said in the tweet? Stand with Hong Kong, free Hong Kong, Stand something like that, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's kind of crazy to think all the news and all the chaos that is surrounded just from one simple short tweet. Um, and I mean, I think I speak for a lot of people, especially on the internet today, where we kind of agree with that idea of standing with the people of Hong Kong. And I'm not going to try and get super political on this small little podcast, but. I, I kind of liked that he at least initially stood up for what he thought and kind of gave the platform that it needed and maybe gave a little more exposure. And, you know, after that, I'm sure he kind of didn't get much of a choice. <laughs> there was rumors that he was going to get fired from his job, you know, shortly after that was posted. Um, but I still think, I, I still appreciate that he gave that platform and gave that life to something that, you know, he didn't have to do. So that that's what I got to say on that. I uh, I think a it's 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 rough that so quickly we've kind of lost the goodwill of the Chinese Rockets fans. Like beyond the the political stuff, if if the Rockets kind of lose that market, that's kind of a sad thing because that's been a, something special for them. But mm-hmm. you know, politically, there's there's a lot of strange things going on with the Hong Kong thing. Like as far as I understand, it's not an independence movement. They just want. Yeah, they certain, be... you know, they want certain rights within China. And, like, there's so well, it all really started over uh, an extradition um, where there was a a gentleman who hot- murdered, I believe, his girlfriend or his wife um, abroad in well, not really abroad in China in Taiwan, um, and then he came back to Hong Kong because he was a, a Hong Kongese a citizen. I don't even. Uh, know. And then China wanted to extradite him to the mainland to try him there. And, of course, the Hong Kong people, they don't really trust Big Brother. And they didn't want um, to kind of set that precedent, which is what started off uh, this series. But uh, for, for someone who's probably got a better take on that, you should go follow Joe Truck on Twitter. Because <laughs> I know he had a very nuanced point when this uh, the Hong Kong riots broke out originally. Um, and I think he is much more knowledgeable about that than either of us. <laughs> sure. 
Sure, and it's 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 complicated, and I don't want to, I don't want to say too much because I don't know nearly enough, even if that's a bad cop out. But the interesting thing are the implications from this for the NBA. First and foremost, near and dear to my heart, I'm terrified that the the Chinese fans are now going to crash the illegal stream market because because there are now like millions of people who aren't going to be able to watch the NBA on real TV and like mm-hmm. protect buff streams buff yep. streams needs to like can we donate to their server capacity something's got to happen because mm-hmm. i need my streams yep and yep. so uh you know prepare for the great chinese tidal wave we got to fix that um yeah uh, it's it's concerning mm-hmm. and then that doesn't even begin to talk about you know from a financial perspective of the nba if they lose that market if something were to happen to that market, it would be a big shift in all these ever-increasing TV deals that uh, lead to a bigger and bigger salary cap. That might start shrinking really quickly if they lose the the trust in the Chinese market. I so, saw a, a tweet that uh, I believe it was something like cer- certain cap experts, capologists are projecting like a 15% dip. Yeah. So we might be back. I mean, that could take us back under a hundred million right yeah we're yeah. like 115 now so mm-hmm. um i yeah, mean that's a... that's a big deal if if the cap takes a hit that can be i mean we're talking about the the exact opposite of the cap hike we saw three years ago now mm-hmm. it was three years ago right so yeah, that, I that's scary especially if you're a team like detroit that's you know trying to manipulate their cap space a little bit you know two years from now we're looking at a little bit of space if uh, if it drops by fifteen million dollars or so, that's, I mean, that's a huge blow. Yeah. Part of me is as the cap, uh, kind of, I'd be very intrigued to see what would happen if the cap just lost fifteen million just out of the out of the blue. Right. <laughs> I'd be curious to see what teams did with that. Well, and you'd have to ask, you know, does the uh, does the NBA prorate certain things to try and smooth it? You know, do they have negative cap smoothing? Um, you know, opposite what they had a couple of years ago. Um, you know, there's some interesting questions you'd have to ask if that projection turns out to be true. Yeah. Well, that's a rabbit hole that we can go down another time. Maybe that'd be a good spin-off podcast. Uh, but moving right along, we're going to start talking about the NBA or the Pistons players, uh, back to the NBA itself. Um, we're going to start out, of course, at point guard with the one, the only Reggie Jackson, Mr. October. So last season, Reggie uh, was here with us. He had kind of a bounce back season. I know he'd been kind of on a downward string, but particularly with his uh, three point shooting percentage going to 37%, I think it was a big boost for him. And just being healthy throughout the year, I think that really helped him play a lot better and maybe play a little bit more within himself. Uh, whereas in the past year, year and a half, he had not been uh, fully healthy and really had made a difference with the Pistons team. Yeah, he uh, not only did he see a boost to the percentage, he also, I think it's about two attempts a game. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, he went from about 3.8 attempts a game to 5.7 attempts a game. Um, and it is a career high for him, three-point percentage-wise, by almost a full, full percentage point. So 
that that was very nice to see. His shot looked great. Um, he he had a a rough like first couple games I remember, and everyone was like, "Oh wow, he's doing terrible." <laughs> and then he, yeah. I mean, especially after uh, kind of they calmed down. They had him shooting like the Suns game. He shot like fifteen, you know, and that was tough mm-hmm. to watch. And uh, once they started kind of settling him in to more comfortable attempts. Uh, he he started to look really really good and really comfortable, and I I really hope he carries that into this season because if he if he's shooting thirty seven thirty eight percent on threes and he's still taking six a game this season, uh, that's pretty hard to find from guards who aren't all stars. Mm-hmm. You know when we look forward to, you know replacing Reggie Jackson or whether or not he needs to come back after this year, spacing around Blake is a big deal. And it's really hard to find guys who are 35 plus percent shooters who are not, you know, $20 million plus guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you touched on, you know, bringing him back past this year. And I think that's going to be a, a kind of a bigger thing going into this offseason is, uh, or into the next offseason is where he's going to be at. Uh, I know a lot of people have been talking about this offseason about the Pistons bringing in uh, Dwayne Casey favorite Kyle Lowry. But now with Lowry resigning for the Raptors for a pretty good amount of money, uh, I think that is a good indication that the Pistons might not have a whole lot of other options other than bringing Reggie back. I don't know on what type of a deal, um, but I don't think there's a whole lot of great NBA starter-level uh, point guards available in the market, especially someone who's already been with the system and knows what you kind of know where you're getting out of him. So that that would be something to look forward to. Uh, maybe in the next offseason, I think we're both some of the bigger Reggie fans, even in the Detroit Pistons community, and would definitely be excited to see him come back. Um, we like his game. We like how he plays. He's such a smooth player. I, I think he's just so fun to watch. Um, but one of the bigger things I set, I think set last year apart from his last couple of years as well, besides the three-point shooting, was 82. That's the number of games that he played in last year. 86. Well, 86, yes, so we include the playoffs. <laughs> played all four playoff games, all 82 games. I think mm. he played every preseason game as well. Yep. And and having him bring that health into this offseason and have a chance to kind of train, kind of get that three-point shot down a little bit more, be ready to go at the start of the year where he doesn't have a slow start he had last year, I think that'll be a big thing, especially to the Pistons beginning of the season and hopefully throughout the rest of it. Um, so do you think – how do you think he's going to feel this year? Do you think he's still going to be back to the old Reggie or do you think he might have another down year? I, I think he, it, as far as I know, his health this offseason was pretty good, so that's a big deal. Um, I think the other number that's right next to 82 is 28, and that's the minutes per game he played. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dwayne Casey, uh, I think, maybe was a little punitive with his lineups last year when it came to pulling Reggie Jackson at times. Um, there were times I wanted Reggie on the floor and he wasn't, but uh, they did manage his his time you know he wasn't playing 35 that's that is a a pretty significant drop minutes wise um from where he would be as a normal starter on most teams Mm -hmm. um and that maybe does need to reflect in his value in a contract if it offer but um if they can manage to keep working him at you know sub 30 minutes a game Derek Rose takes you know more time that than that, and you keep both guys healthy. I think that's a big deal. If if he plays 82 again this year, or if he plays more than 75 this year, um, 
I, th- I think we're going to get good Derek or good Derek Rose, good <laughs> Reggie Jackson. Um, and then the next big question will be what, you know, and we can talk about this later on in the schematic bits, but you know, what Reggie Jackson do we get? Do we get pre-January Reggie Jackson? Or do we get post-January Reggie Jackson from last year? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how much freedom does he have to attack? How comfortable is he getting downhill? Um, he was pretty fabulous shooting mid-range shots last year. Um, and still struggled quite a bit around the rim, even though he dunked a lot. He had a record high dunks last year. So, uh, you know, it's it's just a question of can, can he be his best self? How do you, you know, how do you empower him to be his best self? Um, Because he, I think the Pistons desperately need him to be that going Mm -hmm. forward. That's for sure. Yep. And that kind of plays into my prediction for this year, which I think, and I, I think the first two preseason games haven't really uh, shown this out to be maybe the smartest take. But coming into this offseason and kind of looking forward to the next year, I think there's there's one thing that maybe I'm being too much of a fan and I'm hoping for. Uh, but kind of based on having the healthy offseason, having a great shooting percentage last year, I feel like he might end up being our best three-point shooter on the year. And I, I know the smart take is to take Luke Kennard, the bold take is to take Svi, maybe take a Blake Griffin or uh, a Tony Snell. But I think for this team to succeed, we need Reggie to be a threat from three. I think he's going to take what he was doing good in the mid-range last year and maybe move it back a step. Maybe give you know Blake and Andre the ball a little bit more and get a lot more kickouts because that's I know where he makes a lot of his bread and butter on the three. Is so. so so what uh, what metric are you going to use? Is that percentage just... or attempts or makes? Just percentage-wise. Just percentage-wise? So you, probably... you're going to put him ahead of Luke, who's a 40% shooter, ahead of Svee, yeah. who's been a 40-plus percent shooter? I, I think there should be a minimum amount of attempts. Cause I don't know if – I'm not necessarily sure that Svee's going to hit, like, you know, minimum, you know, 300 attempts so, or something so, like that. So let's, but... let's, let's grade it by makes then, three-point okay. makes, because that's attempts plus – percentage right mm-hmm. that combines the two yeah so you think he's going to lead the team in three-point makes i mean he did last year i think to my knowledge and i think if you were doing it by makes i think he'll do it again this year he was just Unless behind really blake i believe three point was makes. blake actually it was 189 for blake and 174 for reggie so not that far okay. apart mind gotcha. you bullock and ellington had they played a full season would have both been above them but yeah i mean i think that plays a little bit into it too as well I think he's going to get a lot, like I said, I'm, I'm putting it a lot in the kickouts. I think he's going to be a lot more back at the three-point line instead of some of those long twos he was hitting. Um, and I think it's just going to be a lot of getting the ball to Blake in the post, getting the ball to Andre in the post, let him go to work a little bit and have Reggie you know, slide over for an open three. Or you know, have his defender help down, and all of a sudden he's able to move and get to an open spot. So That would definitely be, if, if that comes true, that definitely would take the Pistons up a level. Mm-hmm. So so what uh next year his contract's up what's the number that you turn down if Reggie says I'm only coming back for this what's the number you say no to The number I would say no to is probably around uh 18 to 20 million I think would be about the point where you got to say what else can we find on the market what's a better deal And if there's no better deals to be had there's no absolute bargain you know player you can get for like 10 to 12, I think you got to bring it back because Reggie is probably one of the top point guards that's going to be available on the market and that we can realistically bring back to Detroit. 
So that's about where I would say, I mean, I'm you know I'm more uh, comfortable than I think a lot of people in the fan base and willing to go over the tax and spend more money because it's not my money. <laughs> and I want to see the better team, the better product on the floor. You're more comfortable than what? I'm more comfortable, I think, than most of the Pistons fan base where it's like, we can't give Andre Drummond more than $25 million a year and stuff like that. So I think I'm a little more flexible than others with giving that money. But I'm... I don't know where I was. I ran out of stuff to say. <laughs> you want me to say that? <laughs> so, so for me, it's. Uh, I, I think right around seventeen is about my cutoff point. Any more than that, and it's a, it's a. We don't have any more space. Um, how do I put it? It's a. If if he says I want twenty five or something like that, the only time I give that to him is if I've signed everyone else and I give him like a one year deal, because I can. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, because I don't, you know, there's no consequence moving forward with it. Um, but I I think both parties would probably be pretty happy if he were to end up with something in the realm of uh, three for 50 kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I think, I think everyone would be pretty ecstatic. And I think Pistons fans should be pretty happy if they could keep him under 17 a year, especially if they could get maybe a team option or any option really. Um in that third, in a third year, would be pretty helpful. Yeah, I think if it does go to three years, that does seem like a long time for Reggie, someone who maybe is, I mean, let's put him bluntly, has kind of struggled with health in the last couple of years. So if he does have a healthy year this offseason, I'd be fine with giving him that third year. But I think that's going to be something that he would probably take less money if he was going to try and get the three years. And I think that's where I was kind of projecting more like a short-term deal. I was expecting to be more of a two and a player option or one and a player option, uh, probably two, would be about where I'd settle on that, is what I was imagining he was going to be going for in this market. Uh, but if we do get him for the three years, I think if we can get him for three years at a discount and kind of take his, his health into consideration, I mean, to keep the better team around, I think you got to do that. I'd be pretty okay with that. Yeah. All right, any other things to talk about before we move on to the, our next big point guard? Oh. All right. So now we're going to go on to the Pistons' marquee free agent signing of the offseason, Derek Rose. So last year, Derek Rose was playing uh, as a member of the Minnesota Timberwolves. He had very much a revival season of his uh, prior year where he kind of struggled and bounced around between uh, where's Cleveland before going to Minnesota. <laughs> he just got to stay in the Great Lakes region. All right, it was Knicks, Cleveland, Minnesota, now here? I think that's yep. right. Yep. So he had a very, very successful season last year. One of the key drivers, just like Reggie, was he was shooting at such a great clip. He was shooting uh, three attempts a game for 37% from three, which for him is way above his career average and was kind of out of the blue, I feel like. Um, his highest on record was a 34% year, uh, but that was seemed like even an outlier. And then he hits 37%, which is, I think, a big improvement for him. And if he can continue to bring that in there, as well as his, you know, playmaking and athleticism, that you know, it's not, of course, MVP Derrick Rose, but he's still, he can still get to the hole. He can still drive to the basket, which I think is something that this team definitely has been lacking. We talked about that in the off-season pods. So I'm excited to see what he can bring, especially off the bench, um, and especially maybe creating a little bit and allowing Luke Kennard to get some easy shots or something like that, where Ish didn't always do that. Yeah, the. Um... You know, we've already seen in the two preseason games, especially against uh, the Mavericks, you know, his body control, his speed, 
You know, he may not have quite the same top gear he used to, but he's still fast, and his body control is still incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, it, it's hard to put into words how much better he is at a layup than, like, <laughs> everyone else. Specifically you know, Ish Smith. Ish Smith, but, like, the, the kind of body control he has, it's like Kyrie and Derrick Rose... And there's not a whole lot of other guys. Like, there's some people like Steph Curry is special, but Steph shoots a different kind of ball mm-hmm. than what those two do. Um, you know, his ability to be so fast, but so poised at the same time. Like, you have guys like Westbrook who match him for athleticism, but he finishes totally different than what Derrick Rose does. Yeah, um, it's, it's just, it's so much fun. I've said it before, Derrick Rose uh, is one of the guys who... who got me back into basketball um Mm -hmm. watching watching him play so i'm I'm excited to see him play um the key thing is going to be that that three-point shooting and it is it's a really strange percentage from last year because it was 37 percent overall but he was actually shooting 46 percent, which is outrageous he was the best Mm -hmm. three-point shooter in the nba before his january elbow injury Yep. And after that, he had bone chips floating around in his elbow, and he went down to 13% for the last 19 games that he played. And then he ended up getting surgery and sitting out. Mm-hmm. And so you have to ask how much of that 46% was real. You know, he didn't take an outrageous number of attempts. I got to double check. Um, I, don't, I don't think it was a monster. I mean, for the years of whole, he only had three. I didn't write down exactly what he had in that. That opening uh, stretch. It was 146 was attempts, yeah. so it wasn't cra- it wasn't a crazy, you know, rate, but um, you know, so the the question is, was that real? Was it just sample size? You know, obviously the 13 percent after those after the injury that's not real. Mm-hmm. Now is it is the real percentage 35 percent and just a slight tick above normal, or is he really a 40 percent three point shooter now? I don't know. His mm-hmm. shooting mechanics aren't... It's not like he changed them to be picture perfect. I think they've improved a little bit over where he was a few years ago. He said in interviews that going into last season, he knew that shooting the three was kind of a thing he needed to improve on. Uh, he basically said that in New York, he kind of didn't shoot them, and he was being a little obstinate about that. And yeah. you know, he kind of realized that that was a mistake, and so he spent all last off season kind of working on the three-point shooting. If he can shoot 35, 36% on two to three attempts a game, that's going to be a big deal. Mm-hmm. It, just any kind of, of reliability um, coupled with, with how uh, strong a, a driver he is, that's that's good enough for me. Yeah. And I, I think if, I don't think he's going to obviously shoot a 46% rate. Probably but I think he, he, he definitely has the opportunity to shoot mid to high 30s, would be my. Yes, he'll have some hot nights, he'll have some cold nights. The thing with him is he doesn't shoot a whole lot, but he at least makes it so that you have to keep track of him behind the three-point line. And you can't just sag off him anymore like you know you kind of could have in years leading up to it. He's still got the athleticism to blow by you, and that's why he wants you up there, uh, which I think will be a good thing for the team. But I wouldn't expect him to be you know just a lockdown three-point shooter. He's not, he's not going to be leading the team and makes from three, to say the least. No. Uh, but offensively, I think he brings something that 
the Pistons didn't have off the bench in as long as I can really remember. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> a great Rodney Stuckey year uh, back when he was on the team, when he was kind of off the bench. But that's, that's really about the only time I can think of recently when the Pistons had a true, honest-to-God playmaker coming off the bench. So it'll be fun to see. And I'm excited to see what he can do and maybe help uh, bridge the gap from how bad we were on the bench last year. And obviously he's got health concerns, and we just got to hope that, you know, that bears out, you know, playing, playing, uh, what he averaged last year. He averaged, so he also averaged 27 minutes last year. So Mm -hmm. if you can keep him down to 20 minutes and, you know, just let him be his best self for 20 minutes a game and keep him healthy, that's going to be a big deal. Uh, his mid-range finishing, obviously, is still exceptional. He's one of the few guys who, um, for whom a mid-range shot is an efficient, like, good shot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in that kind of the free throw line area, he was shooting about 50% last year um, around both elbows, etc. So that's really helpful. He's a, obviously one of the best floater users in the league. He's always been fantastic at that. So um, that kind of extra threat in the mid-range is a big deal. Um, when the rest of your offense is geared towards, you know, the three in the rim, having somebody mm-hmm. who can kind of take advantage of spaces that are left behind is, is really nice. So really excited to see what he does. Yep. Yep. I think it's been a great, going to be a great addition to the team and I can't wait to kind of see how they use him and, and what happens with it. So, um, moving on to our next, uh, person on the list, it's going to be our third point guard, Timothy, Tim Fraser. So, obviously, a third point guard, not really going to be the biggest uh, position, but still a nice one to see that we took care of that in the offseason, uh, signed someone early-ish on um, to play the role and didn't wait until a little bit before the season to bring on an old, wily veteran. Uh, but that being said, Tim Frazier, as a third point guard, he does have a little bit of upside. He's not going to be your you know, your 30-some-year-old washed-up uh, point guard like Jose Calderon. He's still pretty, he's an okay bench player. He can come off the bench and not totally lose you the game. Um, so I'm just excited about that. And we don't have to worry about seeing our third point guard in the game and just running for the hills so we know it's over. Um, but hopefully in this year we won't see too much out of him. Um, that being said, is there anything in particular you like about his game, think he can bring to the team in that role? He's, he's pretty tough. Um I wouldn't say he's like an amazing defender, but he'll he'll stick a nose in and, and be disruptive a little bit. Um, he can hit threes. He's not great at it, but he'll hit enough to keep people honest. I mean, really, the, the thing is the Pistons for the last couple of years have had... Um, they've had a solid, like, middle-of-the-pack backup point guard and one of... and maybe the worst third point guard in the yeah. league... Yeah. Consistently. Uh, Benno Udra bucked the trend a little bit. He was okay. Um, but it's been pretty bad. And now we we have a guy who has spent the last couple of years is like, he's been like the 28th worst second point guard in a rotation, mm-hmm. you know? And all of a sudden he becomes like top 10 third point guard. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. Um, he's so, an elite third point guard is what you're saying. Right, right. You know, he's he's a bad guy to have as your second guard, but he's a really good guy to have as your third guard. And if he has to be the backup because Derrick Rose or Reggie Jackson gets injured, it's a little more stable than what we've had previously. Yeah. Um, 
And I mean, even if they're putting in some rush nights, you know, Derek's taking the night off. Tim's going to be in there. It's not right. an automatic loss. And he, he is <laughs> definitely, he's still a guy. He, you know, he's a solid passer. He's not a massive negative as a defender. You know, he's going to hopefully hold water against other bench units. And if he can do that, that's a, that's a big deal compared to where we've been. So um, good, like good assist to turnover guy, basically a four to one ratio. So uh, mm-hmm. as long as he can keep that up, he's, we're happy with him. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, analogy, analogy, I guess, would be sleeping with a, you know, beach towel as opposed to a washcloth, which is what I feel like I, we've had in the past couple of years. That's a strange analogy. It does enough. How, It'll keep you fine. How many times it's have not you what slept you want. under a washcloth? I, I need mean, to know why this came into your head. I mean, I would say it was never, but I was just thinking of an analogy where it does enough, but it's still not what you're looking for. I thought you were going to say it was a beach towel compared to a blanket. I thought that's where you were going. You, well, the blanket would you made be, it weird. A blanket would be having you know this rookie point guard sensation who was a late first round pick who you're excited about. I'm not excited okay. about Tim Brazier, okay. but right. he'll do uh, the job. You milk this for all it's got, because you um, won't be freezing with Tim Brazier. Is all I'm saying. It's bad. That that was a bad analogy. You should feel bad. I'm going with it. Okay. All right. Moving on to the next person that Jake decided to put in our point guard conversation, even though he's not a point guard, uh, is Luke Kennard. So Luke, of course, uh, last year was another bright spot for the Pistons, especially in the playoff series against the Bucks. Um, he finished last year playing about 20-some minutes coming off the bench. Uh, he scored 10 points a game, was shooting 95% or bleh, 35% from three. 95 would have 39.5% from three. You suck real bad at reading numbers. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know where you got 95 or 35 from. <laughs> I was rounding up from the 39.5% from three, and then I messed up on the numbers. So he was shooting okay. 39.5% from three um, on four attempts off the bench last year. It seems like he's still going to be coming off the bench playing mostly in a two-guard role uh, next to Derrick Rose, maybe getting a little bit of a chance to run some point, uh, but I don't really see it too much. Um, That being said, I know Luke is loved by the Pistons community. Uh, A lot of people think he's, you know, going to be a a great future in the NBA. Um, What do you think particularly about him is going to be improved coming to this next year? Well, the thing we saw him improve on over the course of last year, and he definitely showed in the uh, Mavericks game, he has to be more decisive. And a lot of people have, you know, Dwayne Casey's been quoted as saying he wants to see Luke shoot more aggressively. I'm, I kind of am okay with a lot of the shots he turns down. Not all of them. There's maybe, probably, probably forty percent of the shots that he turns down. I probably want him to shoot. And the other 60% of the time, I'm probably like, okay, that was a good, you know, it was a good idea to turn that down. Maybe you didn't have enough time to get that off. But then I need to see him transition into a driver, you know, a beat quicker than what he's been in the past. He, he kind of likes to wait and get the screen to come set him up, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, so being more decisive, regardless of whether you shoot or drive, being decisive off the catch is kind of the thing that's going to really take him to the next level offensively. Uh defensively he's going to be a liability i think we've just we're gonna to have to settle yeah. with that um you know he's he's he plays with pretty good intensity he just isn't good at yeah. defense 
Um, I think the one thing that he's really sneaky good at is rebounding. <laughs> that I, I will never forget. There was like six or seven moments during his, his freshman year where like he went up for a rebound strong and it was Andre's rebound and Andre just <laughs> gave him a look like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, get out of here. Where did you come this from? Not... <laughs> uh, you know, don't fight your big man for rebounds. But um, yeah. it is it is one of those things where every time I see Luke stick his nose in there for a rebound, it's like, oh, look at this, Luke Kennard. Look at how hard he works. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Um, so would you just say that he, you know, brings a lunch pail in, in every game? No, really I wouldn't hard say worker. that. Nobody no. brings a lunch pail. Pails are no. not lunch boxes. <laughs> but yeah, no, Luke definitely, when he's on the floor, he's... I mean, by any metric and any eye test, he's not a great defender. But he does bring that hustle, and he does bring the intensity to kind of stay with a, a shooting guard that's running off screens or kind of run over and make sure to grab the rebounds, kind of bouncing away. Uh, I think he's got good positioning, which I think really is what helps him uh, kind of stay afloat defensively. Um, but he's never going to, you know, he's never going to be all NBA defensively. No. He's just not got the body for it. Simple, <laughs> simple as that. No. Um, so the, the other big thing he needs to continue working on, um, his shooting around the rim is solid, especially considering he's not a, an above the rim finisher. Um, but he needs to continue to, to work on that. And then he's struggled to pass the ball, which is strange. Cause he's actually, he's got really good vision. He's a good passer. He just doesn't, I, th- I think sometimes again, it's a decisiveness thing. Sometimes yep. he doesn't take advantage of the windows he creates um you know he sees the passes late he wants to be a passer i think and he's just i don't think he realizes soon enough that his scoring opportunity has been cut off if you follow my meaning yeah um you know and that and that the pass is the right thing to to do um do you think part of it is the people that has been around him like when he's with ish ish is best with the ball in his hands do you think some with jerick rose who's kind of got that speed athleticism to go off the ball and maybe blow by a defender that's guarding him, that would help? It's it's fine. Um, I mean, you're also playing against bench defenders and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I, there's, you know, there's some disadvantages to playing with the bench and there's some advantages to playing with the bench. I think the most part is like he really likes to jump stop and pivot in the lane once or twice and then kick it out. And so I hope as he improves, he learns to just make a kick out pass once he gets two feet in the lane. Yeah. And, and you know, take the time with it. Yep. Um, I think the biggest thing will be Zaza sucked at finishing around the rim last year. So, he, you know, Zaza's great at setting screens, fantastic at setting screens. Mm-hmm. And that was a big help for Luke to get into the paint. And then he'd dump it off to a guy who couldn't finish. You know, that was something that drove me nuts uh, when Aaron Baines and Stanley Johnson were trying to work in like Stanley's rookie year. And there was a stretch of like a month or so where Aaron Baines couldn't catch a pass. <laughs> and Stanley was credited with like 30 turnovers in a month because yep. Aaron Baines dropped like 30 passes. It was, he's got and, bricks for hands. <laughs> and so it's just one of those things where like maybe playing with the Christian Wood, if Christian Wood makes the roster, uh, you know, maybe having somebody that bouncy, that aggressive next to him is enough to, to give him another assist or two a game. Um, but I think it's, it's mostly just watching Luke be decisive and, mm-hmm. He's he's shown that uh, he he was awesome in the playoffs and he was pretty good against the Mavericks and he's just got to keep that going every game, all year. Yep. Yeah, I think that's going to be the big tell in this season with Luke is to see how decisive he's going to be going into the season, and seeing you know in the spots where Ish would dribble the ball to death, 
I don't think Rose is going to quite do that. He's going to want the ball in Probably his hands. Not. He's going to want to finish. But he's not going to sit there and hold the ball as much. So I think it's going to be a lot more on Luke to not necessarily run the offense, uh, but definitely to keep it moving and make the quick decisions and make maybe a little bit faster choices where before he just, with Ish, had the ball and he was just kind of hanging out there. Um, so I, I'm really curious to see how those two especially will handle and deal in the backcourt. Because I think that will make, I don't think it's going to make or break our season, but it would make a big difference in maybe it will set us apart from being just a, you know, the eighth seed in the East to maybe having a chance to contend for uh, like a home playoff game or a home playoff series is is that bench unit and how much they can be a plus, whereas in the past they've been kind of a minus. Yep. Um, so the, the other question, I guess, is he had rumors of kind of a foot injury to end last season and at the beginning of the season, so is that healthy? You know, how... How healthy of an offseason did he have? I'm assuming it was pretty good. We haven't heard any major complaints. Um, and then yeah. I guess the other big thing is is how much time he spends playing the three versus the two. I don't know how much it really matters that much. Um, but last year, I think he split his time pretty evenly between the two positions. So, um, you know, how many three-guard lineups do we see? Do we see Dwayne Casey close with Derrick Rose and Luke Kennard at the two and the three? Next to Reggie Blake and Dre. Uh, He did that at uh, the Mavs game for a little bit. Um, I don't think I can actually see closing the game with that because um, you still need someone to defend (laughs) from your three, your your two guards and a forward. Uh, There's not a whole lot of defense on that team, which, I mean, I guess the NBA is moving more and more to that. But at that point, you go up against anyone that has a bigger small forward and they're toast. Don't, don't tell Pistons Twitter that because Pistons Twitter is extremely excited about the three guard lineup. I mean, I'm excited about it, and I'm excited to see it happen in the game. You know, in the middle of the third quarter. <laughs> uh, I don't want to close the game with that. Tony Snell needs to be out there to close the game, just from a defensive perspective, and to keep us with someone who's got a, you know, besides Reggie, I guess I can't, I can't use the wingspan argument with Reggie in there. But <laughs> well, I'm a defense us- guy, so I, you know I agree with you, but. Yeah, it's one of those things that people out. have been very excited about. Now seeing, you know, either Derrick Rose or uh, Luke over Bruce at the end of the game, that's something that I'd be more interested in, personally. And that's despite not starting last year, he closed a lot of games last year. Mm-hmm. So I expect to see that continue pretty. Yep. Hopefully that continues much. being the case. All right. Moving on to the last uh, quote-unquote point guard um, on the Pistons and ball handling guard. We're going to talk quickly about uh, our two-way guard Jordan Bone who we drafted what was that the 57th pick it was yeah near the end of the draft last year somewhere in there um so he is a rookie out of Tennessee we touched on him a lot uh, during the draft podcast we did 63 big he's got the frame for it uh he mm, he didn't exactly overly impress me during summer league um but he still looks like someone who maybe down the road can be someone on the bench but for now, you'll see him a lot up with the drive in Grand Rapids and as much as we can with the Pistons. So, uh, I think nothing too much to see there. What what kind of talking points do you get on Jordan Bone? I, I, I'm interested to see what he does. I think the drive lost Speedy Smith this year, who was kind of mm-hmm. a similar player to the, you know, very quick, um, athletic defender and stuff. I think, I think he's overseas now. Um, mm-hmm. and congrats to Speedy for getting a deal there. But, uh, so it, yeah. it'll be interesting to see him lead the drive 
and uh, think hopefully I'll get a chance to go watch a couple of drive games this year. But the big question is he he shot well from three last year. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he's thirty six percent from three last year, thirty eight percent the year prior. Yep. And we touched on it in the uh, in the the draft pod. But how sustainable is that um, moving out to the NBA line, etc.? He's got a lot of jump in his shot. He, he uh, mid range as well. He likes to really jump very high and shoots a big two motion shot. So um, if he can if he can be the kind of defender and athlete he was in college and sustain that efficiency, he's an NBA point guard. Um, and obviously he was literally the best in the combine at just about everything you'd ever ask for a guard. So mm-hmm. uh, an interesting question to watch in the future, a reason to keep track of drive games. Yep, yep. The reason to kind of head out to Grand Rapids and see what's going on there. All right, aside, do you want to talk about anything before we move on to the scheme? Do we want to talk about wings? I don't think we need to talk no, about No, we don't need to talk about wings. We'll save uh, Bruce Langston and Kyrie. They're, you know, those guys are kind of guards, but we'll save them for the wing pod because they are uh, you know they don't really handle the ball as creators, and I think that's kind of what we wanted to focus on here. So okay. they'll join Tony Snell and Joe Johnson, etc. All right, so to move on to kind of talk about the Pistons kind of more in a, a schematic sense, uh, specifically with point guards, we talked uh, about this with big men a little bit. Uh, we're going to start on defense with the drop system, of course, um, which is going to be primarily you know chasing over screens, trying to go over top, trying to be aggressive uh, on defense, especially in the pick-and-roll situation. Um, can you talk about how guards play in the system and kind of where it can be good and where it can be bad for them? So there are... There are two ways you can go over a screen. You can beat your man over the screen, so you get in between your man and the screen. Um, you know, so you stay, uh, what, what do I want to call it, perpendicular to the drive the whole way across the screen. And that way you can continue to stay in front of him after he passes the screen. And that's what you hope a guy like Bruce Brown, who you know, the good defenders, that's what you hope they do. Um The other way, and the way that this system is kind of sneakily designed to work, is to trail the man around the screen, which means you stay Mm -hmm. connected to him still, but you let him go around the screen. Your your job is to make sure that your hands are ready to stop a three-point shot from going up as soon as he gets around the screen. And what you want to do is you want to convince that that attacker to go downhill into the waiting big man. And then you create the the 2v2 situation you wanted with your big man guarding the guard and then you you know you're trying to to recover back as as a and recover your matchups um and the whole idea there is is to continue as that guard drives down the lane and as his big man rolls you're trying to continue to compress that space um within those four players the two offense and two uh defensive players you're trying to continue to compress that space until your big man the defensive big man uh can't really be beat over the top yeah um, so is it so for yeah someone who maybe doesn't fully grasp it are you, are you trying to like get into like a trap situation are you trying to trap the ball handle in there or are you just trying to just close in the space around him and not necessarily go for the ball in a trap uh so what you want to do is you want to convince you you want the trail defender to convince the offensive ball player that he has to keep going downhill. Mm-hmm. He has to get closer and closer to the center. And by doing that, 
um, he doesn't have as much space to pass to the big man. So you you essentially leave the big man out of there and you force the guard to either kick it out entirely or take a shot that you might be able to contest from behind. Mm-hmm. So you're you're not trapping in a sense because what happens is you can't have your big man come up to trap. Yeah, He can't step up to the guard until the guard loses his dribble mm-hmm. um, because then you just get a pass behind you. Yep. Um, so you, you're not necessarily like trapping. That, yeah. What you're doing is you're, you're trying to make it so that the guard never quite figures out the geometry, mm-hmm. right? Because his, his, the whole time he's coming downhill, he's trying to figure out where the space is to make the pass or make the shot. And you're just trying to make it so that there's never a clear option one way or the other until he runs out of space to make any good decision at all. Mm-hmm. So that's why, you know, the drop bigs position in this case is crucial. It's everything. And your job as the guard is to just make sure that going backwards is never an option. Yep. And as soon as, and as soon as the guard... Uh, slows up because he runs out of space you can get back in front everything can kind of reset yep and then he can kind of get in front and take back over yep right all right um so kind of obviously we were killed by this uh last year a lot we talked about this a bit with uh the guard or with the centers but a lot of times we got beat uh over the top by you know guards will drive and then dish out to a big to pop back out is that the responsibility of the guard to get the guy who's popping out or is the guard supposed to still stay on the uh, the guy dribbling the ball and kind of going towards the hole? So this is where the difference between somebody who's getting over a screen aggressively and somebody who's trailing comes in. Because a trail defender makes the dropping defender, the defensive big man, forces him to engage that guard, right? Because if he doesn't engage the guard, there's nothing between the guard and the rim. Whereas if you have someone like Bruce Brown who gets over a screen and stays in front of the man, then, you know, Andre or whoever's dropping can wait just a half second to make sure that the corner hasn't been turned on him, but then he can recover to the big man. Yeah. So when it comes to the trailing defender, like if Reggie Jackson and Derek Rose are mostly going to play as trailing defenders, they're not going to be getting in front of guys that often. Uh-huh. Um, when those guys are trailing, that forces the big man to engage and in that case, as soon as that other big man starts to pop out, most of the time the guard has to recover and make sure um, first you re- you you recover to the passing lane, and then as soon as the pass is made, you have to recover to the shooter itself. Yeah. So your first goal is to make that pass a bad pass, and if you can't do that, you have to stop the shot. Mm-hmm. So gotcha. it is it's the guards. Um, if the guard isn't willing or isn't able to take responsibility for his man you got to take responsibility for the other guy that's just kind of how it works mm-hmm. yep. gotta make sure the man on the man all right so we'll move on to something that i think is a little more um, exciting especially with the point guard units and especially with the new point guards we have here um, we're going to move on to kind of the offensive side of the floor um, so i start off with uh, the pick and roll uh, which I think is going to hopefully be a big part of our offense this year. So looking with the bench unit we have here, of course the ball is going to be in Derrick Rose and Luke Kennard's hand a lot. Um, specifically the pick and roll, who do you want to see them working with when they're coming off bench units? Or is it something where you hope that there's still an Andre or a Blake on the floor that they can help run the offense through? I suspect we're going to see them um, have, have Andre on the floor a bit. 
Um, if Christian Woods on the floor, then it's not that big a deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's a pretty good um, offensive option. Christian Woods' main flaws are defensive. Um, he's he's pretty uh, fun offensively in a, in a pick and roll offense. Um, so he's fine. Uh, Markeith Morris has some interesting stuff. He's not really a role man, but he's he's got some creativity. He can mm-hmm. score um, at all levels, so it doesn't really matter. There's no obvious terrible option um, like Zaza was last year when it comes to a guy who can roll. Mm-hmm. Um, the big the big one is Thon and whether or not he can catch lobs and stuff. I mean, we've already seen a couple of times Luke Kennard run some really good action, get into the paint. And Luke's uh, in preseason. Luke's had this strange flair for like no look passes, yeah, and yeah. he's thrown like two of them to Thon, who like literally cannot catch them. There was one in the I think the, I think it was the first game against the Magic, where like Thon like literally could not put two hands on the ball at the same time and bobbled it like four <laughs> times, and then like volleyball bumped it to I think it was Derek Rose on the perimeter, and I was like, what the what? what? <laughs> Well, it's amazing that he can't catch basketballs, but uh, but th- th- really there isn't a terrible option. I mean, even Thon, for all his mistakes, draws attention as a mm. role man. So uh, so there's a lot of good options, but obviously Christian Wood, if, if Andre's not out there or Blake's not out there, Christian Wood's the, the best option. Yeah, and I think I would, I would like to see him out there, and of course we'll see um, if we end up keeping him out or not, but I think he'd be a really useful key off the bench for something like that. Um, and of course, when Andre's there, you want to throw him all the lobs that are possible. Throw uh, Dre lobs twenty twenty. To kind of that's, a, that's that another Laz Jackson and, and me getting yes. very excited last year tweeting throw Dre lobs, but it is it is a legitimate thing where last year we didn't see him get lobs, mm-hmm. so it's it needs to be a concentrated effort this year in the pick and roll that when Andre is rolling. He's rolling directly to the rim. He's rolling hard to the rim, and people are willing to throw him the basketball. Because yeah. if you don't throw that basketball, the next option in the in the play is for Andre to seal in the post and get a post up, yeah. and you've immediately mm-hmm. lost like two point like uh, what what do I want to say? You've lost like point two points per possession, right there. Yep. So it you know you've you've immediately lost a significant amount of offensive efficiency. The minute you decide not to throw the lob, mm-hmm. yeah, of, of course you want Andre with the ball up in the air because that's where he's at his best. But there's an offensive rebound or a lob, that's how you want to get him the ball. Uh, on the flip side, something that we liked a lot last year and something that so far in the preseason we haven't seen a whole lot of um, has been Blake running the four v five pick and roll, where he's getting the ball, uh, you know, at the top of the key and getting the screen from a Reggie Jackson or probably a Derrick Rose coming in the next season. Uh, do we think that's something that's going to be successful and see a whole lot of, or are we kind of... Because mm, I know we... I feel like we saw a pretty good amount of it last year. We saw a lot of it. We saw a lot more of it, I think, early last year when they were yeah. really... Uh, they were screening trying to get Blake a mismatch. Their goal in the screen wasn't necessarily to get anyone downhill, wasn't to create a 2v1, um, which is what a normal pick-and-roll is. A normal pick-and-roll, you're trying to isolate the big man. You know, we talked about the drop system. Um, in a normal pick and roll, you're trying to get that defender lost, that big man defender. You're trying to confuse him as much as he's trying to confuse you and create a 2v1. Um, and they weren't doing that. Their goal was to create a 1v1 for Blake against a smaller defender. 
And I think a really good example of that, if you ever need a, a good way to visually see that, is to go back to the Cleveland Warriors finals a couple years ago and see the amount of times that uh, the Cavs ran uh, 4v1 exactly. pick and roll just to get LeBron the ball in the post. Exactly. And it's, it's, and it's more for to get to get the ball at the block and let the you know the big the four work on the smaller point guard down there and have the other people run around him and try and you know get an open three or not uh, but to keep the right. ball with his hands driving towards the hole one on one right and the the big thing is that when you do that you then take the the guard who ran the pick and roll as the screener and the guard then is standing up at the top above the post up and mm-hmm. their defender who's now a center inherently wants to sneak down and switch back you know they never want to stick to that guard because they're just going to get burned as soon as they turn their head and so you create this this opportunity where blake can then pass to the wing and you know a lot of times it's like one or two passes back and forth before they create a three and that's okay offense the problem is it's exhausting and there's not a lot of motion there's not a lot of involvement with everyone else and it's predictable Mm -hmm. um so uh the question will be what happens when Blake has the ball when he's running these pick and rolls. Do the 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 good thing the the good thing to watch I should say is is Blake getting below the free throw line um, before he has the ball. Yeah. Is he is he rolling down low at all? Does he have a roll to the rim? Does he have a roll with an attempt to score like he used to? Um, or is he is he when he sets the screen or when he gets the screen set? do the players trail off and stretch the play sideways because that's what they were doing early last year. That's when they're really searching for mismatch. They're saying you have to switch and you have to come guard me over here. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and so it'll be an interesting question to, and an interesting thing to watch which of those situations occur because the more matchup hunting they do, the, worse I think the overall offense is going to get, they may, those plays may individually be efficient, but they don't tie in very well with the rest of the offense. Yeah, I think in playoff basketball, it's something that you see a lot, and I think it works a lot better there, where you got two very evenly matched teams and you're trying to get the advantage. Um, from watching a little bit in the preseason, though, I was, I was kind of intrigued, especially in the Magic game, when Blake was on the floor. I saw a couple times where they uh, kind of gave him the ball at the top of the, was that, top of the left key uh, and kind of let him post up a little bit, and then actually ran some motion around that, and it led to two easy baskets, um, just layups right through the, the middle of the lane, uh, because the rest of the, the offense kind of shied off. And I believe there was a screen from the top, I want to say Andre to Reggie, cutting through the left side, um, getting an easy layup. So I'd be curious to see if we actually do a little more motion off that last this year, because I know last year a lot of it was get the ball, get the ball to Blake in the post, let him back up, and then kind of have the point guards and the guards kind of surround around it, pass it back and forth, do the Flint Tropics thing that everyone made fun of <laughs> Reggie and uh, Blake for. So, I don't know. It, it is strange that we had that SVG offense that in in stands last year that was all elbow motion stuff. Um, and that is something Andre's good at. It's something Blake is spectacular at. Mm-hmm. And they nuked it when Dwayne Casey came in. And uh, we've seen Andre throwing more passes out of the post already this season. He's had a couple of really great looks. Mm-hmm. He's still got that talent. Yep. And uh, and it's one of those things where when we look at uh, the dribble handoff offense, uh, the we we look at um, 
we're trying to get guys moving towards the rim. That's kind of the whole goal there is to give people a head start when you uh, when they get the ball. And the elbow motion stuff has a lot of very, a lot of similarities to that. Mm-hmm. And it's all about getting guys moving towards the rim, uh, getting defenders flat-footed before anyone ever gets the ball. And I personally hope we see more of that because I think Andre deserves a chance to operate within that system. And I think it'll take a little bit of load off Blake to run that kind of stuff too. Yeah, I would love to see it maybe when Blake's off the floor or maybe just to give Blake a rest and just kind of have him sit out towards the three-point line where he's still a threat, but he can kind of take a little bit of a breather. But yeah, but Andre, I think, is still a a very underrated post-passer, and I'd like to see uh, what he can do about that. I mean, he was great before Blake got here, and I like like to see him show that off a little bit more. I, I've talked about this in the past, but Andre's issue is he's not he's not creative. He doesn't he doesn't see things develop and make instinctive passes. But if you tell him that there's going to be a pass here, and there's going to be an open guy over here, and that you're you know if you if you teach him like a quarterback and say here are your reads. Make yeah. these reads. <laughs> he's good at that. He's a, he's a, he's good at executing passes. He's he's good at seeing uh, the passes and, and registering whether or not guys are open. He's just not good at deciding, oh, this is a passing opportunity. Mm-hmm. So if, if, if Dwayne Casey puts that in his offense, that this is, you know, when we run this, you catch the ball. Your first look is to pass over here. If that doesn't happen, you're going to the rim. Yeah, that kind of instruction, I think Andre is really good at. And mm-hmm. it's just a question of building that into the offense. Yep, that's something I hope we'll see. One thing I know that we are going to see this year uh, with the Pistons is going to be the dribble handoff, specifically uh, with Luke Kennard, because I know that was a lot of his specialty last year. Um, and there was something that I think we we liked. We saw out of Luke going through it, especially the way he attacked the hole. Like we had talked about earlier, he would he would go and he would stop. He would do a jump stop and he'd look around for a little bit and kick it out to a three that at that point wasn't open anymore. Uh, what specifically do you look for him to improve going through the dribble handoff uh, going into the, this next season? So the first thing is he's got to be ready to pull anytime anyone goes under. So yeah. you know the difference between a dribble handoff and a pick and roll is that you're catching the ball at a sprint. And for Luke, the thing is, you got to work on stopping from that sprint as soon as you catch the ball and firing anytime somebody goes under the handoff. And when you when people do dribble handoffs, they're they're either trailing uh, the defender is either trailing or going under the screen more often than a normal pick and roll because yeah. they're either chasing you. Normally, when you do a dribble handoff, you've already come off one screen, which kind of gets a defender on your hip. Then you're sprinting toward to collect the ball, and then you're sprinting somewhere else. And the defender's already behind you normally. Or they're cheating trying to catch up. Yeah. So you don't normally have that guy who's who's getting over the screen well and staying in front of you. Only the elite defenders are going to be able to do that. Yeah, there's so, not a lot of Tony Allens left in the league that can pull that every right. single time. So you're going to have a lot more instances where guys go under the screen on someone like Luke Kennard. When they, when they know they shouldn't, but they kind of have to. Mm-hmm. And in that case, you have to pull that trigger. Even if it's not a good shot, even if it's a shot you really can't get off, you have to make sure they know that you're going to pull that trigger. Because if that's a, you know, maybe those particular threes are like 32%. Maybe sneakily, they actually want that. But you have to pull the trigger and shoot that shot. And then the next thing is just when you get downhill, be decisive about passing. Don't hold on to the ball too long. Um, He struggles finishing at the rim. 
So, um, and he's pretty good about this, but pull up from the mid range, pull up from eight feet and, you know, get that little bank shot in. Um, don't let yourself get caught. Um, one of the things defenses kind of like to do is they like to trick you and let you get deeper um, because you think you've succeeded and they actually want you there and then they kind of actually trap you behind the backboard, that kind of thing. He gets yeah. caught with that a little bit. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's just about being aware, uh, playing, you know, at tempo, at speed. And, I mean, again, we're talking about a kid who's in his third year. So plenty of room, plenty of time to improve, plenty of time to learn. And he's already showing signs of learning all these lessons last year and, and moving into this year. Yeah, exactly. And I think he's definitely an offensive mind. And I think the more and more that he can kind of get used to the system and get a chance to run it more and feel it more, I think the better he'll get. So we're excited to see what he can do this year. Uh, I think people that I've seen a little bit on Twitter about him, you know, playing a little bit more, starting a little bit more, I don't think we're quite ready for that yet. But down the road, I think we should see that uh, next year if we get into this, his next contract year after this. All right, so moving on to rotations. Uh, we're going to start with point guard. Uh, I think we, I think it's pretty much obvious at this point that Reggie Jackson is going to be the starting point guard. Derrick Rose is going to be coming off the bench. Do you have any reservations about that? Do you think that <laughs> Rose should be starting at all? No. Um, I think it's it's a little wild that we've had, like, the minute we signed Rose, people just started saying he was the best point guard on the team, which is freaking crazy. Yeah. Um, you know, when it comes to, to just fit for a second, uh, Reggie's the better outside shooter. Obviously, um, Rose had that stretch where he was fantastic to start the season, but unless you believe that he's going to shoot 40-plus percent off the catch regularly, and that's not kind of how he is um, mm-hmm. as a shooter... Uh, unless you believe he's going to be able to take a volume of shots off the catch and be efficient, even if you think Rose is the better player, Reggie's going to be the better fit mm-hmm. with the starting lineup. You know, when when they run those actions where where Blake is posting up, looking for a shooter on the wing, you want Reggie to be that guy in the corner or the guy above the break shooting that three. Yeah. So for that reason and that reason alone, Reggie should be starting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Reggie's durability is a little you know, ranks a little higher than Rose's at this point. So when you're looking at one guy to run for 28 minutes and the other guy to run for 22, you know, Reggie's the guy maybe you want to give a few extra minutes to. Um, So I think for those reasons, you're pretty happy with Reggie starting. And then obviously Rose in the second unit has a little more freedom to to hit the Jets and um, be a little more selfish with his play, which fits his style. So I, I think naturally... Um, even if you don't necessarily agree with us that Reggie and, and Rose are, you know, that Reggie might be a better guard than Rose at this point, even if you don't agree with that, I think it still makes sense for that to be the rotation. Yeah, I think having him come off the bench will keep him a little more unleashed. We have uh, Rose out on the floor and allow Reggie to kind of, you know, be a little more of a, a, a spot shooter. Uh, and I think he does a better job of running the offense. Uh, speaking of running the offense, how do we think, you know, in the half court, Rose versus uh, Luke, how do we think they're going to be split up in terms of handling the ball? Do you think it's going to be kind of an even split? Do you think Rose is still going to take the predominant, predominant, uh, yeah, 
predominant amount of the uh, handles going up the floor? Or do you think we're going to see a little more of Luke Bay playing point guard and uh, Derek being able to create off that? I, I think we'll see them share it quite a bit. I said, uh, I don't know if I tweeted this or, or like replied to somebody with this, but I, I think what I'd like to see is like Derek Rose is the first look when you rebound the ball. You know, you're trying to get it to Derek Rose and let him get up the floor fast. Mm-hmm. And like the first eight to 10 seconds of the clock are his. Yeah. And at about 16 seconds or so, I want the next pass to be the one going to Luke to set up the first, you know, major half court action. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when, I, I want I want Rose running all of my transition and stuff because that's obviously something he's fantastic in. Yeah. And I want Luke to be the first option when it comes to the half court offense. And those are two, you know, we 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 don't grade them separately. We don't think of them separately normally, but the transition and the half court are two very separate things. Uh, statistically offenses um have very different like uh how do i how do i say it? when when we say what's good offense we say like one point per possession is good offense right mm-hmm. in reality it's like 1.2 points per possession and transition is good offense and like 0.9 points per possession in the half court is good offense and it averages mm-hmm. out to mm-hmm. one point per possession so um it's just one of those things where it's a different mentality in the half court, and I think that's Luke's area to shine, and you can let Derek run all the other stuff. Obviously, he's he's got stuff he can do in the half court as well, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. So one last thing we got to talk with rotations is when we're going to go, not necessarily a two-point guard uh, look, but two-ball-handling guard look, where we have you know Reggie Jackson sharing the floor with Derek Rose specifically. We've seen him share it with Luke in the past, but how do we think Reggie and Luke or Reggie and uh, Derek are gonna fare together? Because you know they're gonna roll at that lineup probably for a couple minutes each night. For me, it's I've got kind of similar rules for that that I have for when Rose and Luke are together. You know, Derek Rose gets the ball in transition. Hmm. You know, okay. and we saw this a lot when uh, Ish was was playing. Ish was the first look in transition. Ish gets it up the floor, um, you know, and then if if a pick and roll needs running, etc., Reggie Jackson is the guy that gets to run that. Mm-hmm. And I think Rose might have a little more liberty than than Ish did to to take over those half court responsibilities when Jackson's on the floor. Um, but I still kind of expect it to work like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what about when we have all three of them in there, Rose, Reggie, and Luke? How do you think that's going to work? I I think at that point you're just saying whoever gets the ball takes it up the floor. You know, st- every, everyone basically fills a spot. You know, fill your lane in transition. And, mm-hmm. you know, the three positions are completely interchangeable. Let's just go. Yep. I think at that point you're just trying to get the most offense you can as fast as you can. Um, you know, you're probably running that with either Wood or Andre and Blake Griffin at that point. And you're just trying to cram, you know, points down the your opponent's throat as much as possible, as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Definitely, because it's bad defense. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's not going to be good least. defense. That, that's something where you need to be running as fast as you can, just to make sure to make up for the points that you're going to be losing in the other end. Because Luke at the three is not great when you don't have anyone else that can guard. Luke, Luke at the three is not great, and Reggie Jackson and Derek Rose together as a front or a backcourt is like horrific so yeah 
<laughs> need some Bruce Brown up in there. All right, so we're going to end today's pod talking about something we did talk a little bit about, a lot about earlier, um, which is going to be Reggie Jackson. Uh, we're going to re- dedicate this pod to Reggie. Um, you came over at kind of a oblique time in the Pistons uh, uh, era, uh, right after Brandon Jennings uh, tore his Achilles, um, after a great run that he and the Pistons had with Stan Van Gundy in the 2014-2015 season. Um, so he was brought in in a kind of a, one of the bigger trades of the trade deadline um, that, at least from my perspective, I don't think the Pistons gave up a whole lot to get him. Nope. Uh, not, not nothing at all, which I think was uh, kind of something you can see as a trend with most of the Pistons trades we've done recently. Um, but he was brought in to play with Andre Drummond specifically um, in Stan Van Gundy's pick-and-roll heavy offense. Um, and he started off kind of slow. He didn't have the best start. Uh, we actually lost nine in a row before he got his first uh, victory. No, no, no. We won his first game and then ah. lost nine in a row. Ah. You spelled that. You worded that weird. Um, <laughs> it's all regardless, he had I, a... I worded this. For the record, I said Jackson had a rough start losing nine in a row after his first victory. That's how I worded it. You can't read. That's also possible. <laughs> Anyways... He still finished that year averaging 19 and 9, uh, which was... 18 and 9. (laughs) If you look on basketball reference, I'm looking at the wrong year, and he actually (laughs) did put up 18 and 9, and I also can't read lines on my big screen monitor. So anyways, he went on to have a great campaign that year and the following year um, that saw him turn into kind of that Mr. October, as I like to call him, in that clutch uh, gene which was him dominating the fourth quarter and leading us to the playoffs that year. Um, after that, we he had some knee problems, specifically with the tendonitis, um, that kind of ruined the the next two seasons, really, um, that concluded with the ankle sprain the year after that. Um, but it was great to see last year having a great successful year, coming back, shooting the ball great, and being a, a really great uh, player for the Pistons, despite having a lot of pressure, uh, definitely from the fan base and outside sources. So with that being said, as he comes into this with a contract year, it's going to be a major season for Reggie for the rest of his career, and I'm excited to see what we can get from him. Yeah, the uh, you know it's it's one of those things where it was it's it sucks, and it's it's one of those um, butterfly effect moments really, that Brandon Jennings Achilles injury, and then. Um, you know, the knee tendonitis, because I think a lot of people, myself included, really enjoyed the Tobias Harris, uh, Marcus Morris team. You know, we really enjoyed what that team looked like and how that team played. And I don't think it had the ceiling this team does. But everything kind of just fell apart. Yeah. <laughs> and and it's not fair to anyone. It's not like, I mean, the, Stan Van Gundy had some bad things happen in his GM tenure that were his fault. Um, and this wasn't. Yeah. And because this happened when, it, because his ankle injuries and his uh, knee injuries happened, we never really got to see what Stan originally wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so it's just kind of weird that 
we kind of have three years where we looked at it, you know, the, the 16, 17, 17, and 17, 18 years. So two years where it was just kind of like, how do you judge those teams? Yeah. And it's all because Jackson got hurt, but you know, I'll forever remember that Portland game where he scored 40, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he, he ended with 45 and five basically in a, in a monster game at Portland. Uh, yep. I've said it before. Can we just play Portland every single game? Those games <laughs> yep. are always incredible. Um, you know, but, th- but there have been so many games in that 15, 16 season where he, I mean, I, I think he ended as the second or third highest scorer in the fourth quarter. And he, he was the the number one guy for most of the season. Yeah. I was going to say, we were being number one for most of that season. And there was always oh. a graphic that you saw at the end you of know, games. It, it was, it was awesome. And, uh, We've we both said it earlier. I I kind of hope he comes back. I, I'm I've been a very big Reggie Jackson fan. The team is different when he's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he's great, the team is. I mean, those games are the most fun. Period. Mm-hmm. I I think we've had games where Blake has scored like forty points, and I've been kind of like, oh, Blake scored forty points, and there's all these gross post ups and everything. <laughs> you know, sometimes it's not always the prettiest offense, and then you have these games where Reggie Jackson is playing amazing, and. You know, with all these crazy layups and stuff, and I I really miss that, and it's it sucks that he got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, yeah he, if he, if this is his last year as a piston, it's going to be really sad that he didn't get more. Yeah, he never got the opportunity to kind of lead that team for more than the one year, the one great year. Because I, I he just and, has sp- and a... speaking of not getting more, shout out to Brandon Jennings because Brandon yep. Jennings deserved so much more. Yep, it's a. Brandon Jennings is just about to break out, and that Achilles injury robbed him of what could have been a much different career. So that's that's kind of sad to see. He's still bounced around, but still not the same. But I mean, I like Brandon Jennings' game, Brandon Jennings' game a lot as well. But Reggie was someone who I just just watching him play. He's so smooth in the way he shoots, the way he dribbles, the way he handles the ball and runs the offense. That's something that I always like to see in a point guard that's full of kind of that swagger. He he runs the offense, and it's his show. Uh, so I, I I love that about you know those big years he had with us back in fifteen sixteen, um, and I if this is last year I'm gonna miss it, and I'll I'll still root for him in whatever team he goes on to, but it won't be the same not seeing him in a Pistons uniform. Yep. And then of course this pod is really dedicated to Brandon Jennings off the backboard alley oops. <laughs> yes. Because those are the best, and I miss them. The one to oh god the one to Dre and Staples, but. Also, shout out to the uh, volleyball tip-off. Gotta give shouts <laughs> to that. The best way to start a game. It's great. All right. So today we're going to be done with guards. Uh, moving on sometime, like I said, next week we're going to try and do big men. Uh, get that pot big up men. there and running. The or, wings. We did the, the wings. big men. We're doing the wings. Yeah, reading really hard. I was okay. not reading that no, one at all. To be fair, I, yeah, I did not write that out for you. It probably would have gone worse had I written it out for you. <laughs> I mean, I, I just read what's written in front of me, and that time I didn't have anything, so I was going off script. That's what happens. There's, uh, there's people who follow the teleprompter, and you can prank by writing things to the teleprompter. And then there's Webster, who you write anything, and he pranks himself, which makes it better. <laughs> I'd either read it straight off the teleprompter or jump right past it. That's kind of my reading. Either read I put straight so in line much or I work into this. Place. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. we're going to try and have the pod up on wings sometime next week. Uh, probably about the middle of our next uh, road swing for <laughs> preseason games, but before the end of the or before the start of the season. 
Um, and then we're going to try and commit to once-ish a week. Um, kind of reviewing. Yeah, ish is the right way to use it. Uh, once is a week trying to get going over Pistons news and anything that happened the past week. So uh, that's about it. See you guys soon. Got to go turn on the uh, second half of that WNBA finals. Yep. Big game. Let's go Mystics. Woo! Let's go Mystics. They beat my aces. They'd better win. <laughs> All right. See you guys. See ya. So Webster and I aren't really doing this to make any money, and I don't really care if you like or subscribe. You should probably do the latter just like for your own benefit so you know when new stuff comes out. But if you want to help the pod or share the pod, word of mouth is really going to do the most for us, and we'd appreciate that. Thank you. Today's music was made by Blank and Kit. You can find a link to their music in the description.